This is episode 178 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's go. What's going on? This is Katie Kremitzos, and you're listening to Biz Women Rock. This podcast is dedicated to the stories of a really amazing business women from all over the globe in all sorts of different industries who are here to share their business stories so that yours can be inspired by it. Have you ever had your kids or your nieces or nephews like lose their clothes or their shoes <laughs> and you had no idea where they were? Um, and perhaps if you were like my mother, the solution you came up with was writing magic marker on the insides of their clothes or their shoes, their name. Well, Anne Marie Morrison had a different idea. She wanted to do something very um, nice and something that looked good and something that could actually stick to the clothing and the items so that they would have labels on them and would not be lost. She created a company called Labels for Kids. She is based in Scotland, but her company is international. It is a uh, web-based company, and she does all of her retail online. Uh, She does have partnerships with some really great companies, including schools um, and John Lewis, one of the biggest retail uh, places in the UK. In this interview, she talks about how she started her company back in 2004 and how she had worked in her house for the past 10 years. She literally just moved out in 2014 and got her location. And she talks about the the huge benefits that have happened since then. And she really just discusses how she has systematically built her business uh, all of these years. She's now a half a million dollar uh, player and um, just as a smart as a whip, talks about how she's had to and still practices the art of delegation to her staff and uh, just how she has done it all. She's a fascinating woman with a really great business story. So let's get on to Anne Marie. Anne Marie, thank you so much for being on the show all the way from Scotland. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. So welcome. And um, man, I'm excited to talk about Labels for Kids because uh, it's just an awesome business, like a really cool business. Very retail heavy, um, really great internet presence. Um, and you're, you've been able to build it uh, and really evolve it after all of these years. So I really want to talk about that. Let's start with a little bit of the setup. How, what were you doing right before you started this company? And what gave you the idea to start Labels for Kids? Okay, uh, immediately before I was, well, actually I started in 2004 and just before that um, I had had seven years off with the kids, um, but I was a trained chartered accountant and I did management consulting and I'm originally from Australia and I had moved to the UK for work um, and then it was really my my older son was sort of about 11 months, went back to Australia for a holiday and I'd had a major car accident. So um, that sort of made me think, okay, I'll take seven years off on my own and, and not go back to management consulting, which was traveling a lot and really interesting work, but a lot of hours right. um, and a bit erratic when you're trying to feed a baby or breastfeed at the time. So, yeah. 
So, uh, and then uh, after the car accident, I had a couple of, uh, well, about a month in intensive care in Australia. And I came back to the UK and I resigned from Chartered Accounting, from the management consulting. And uh, I was just really just bringing the kids up. And then I was in the playground one day and I kept getting frustrated with them losing all their stuff. So, and then what topped it off, I think, one day is in, we have uniform, obviously, in, in the UK. And the children have black school shoes. And one of my kids came out of school with one shoe on and one shoe off. And he was just hopping. (laughs) (laughs) And it's in the rain. And I'm like, I said to the teacher, like, where's his other black school shoe? Oh, we can't find it. We had sport. And he's left it somewhere and we can't find his shoe. And I thought, this is nuts. There's got to be a way to label school shoes and not have the name come off all the time. And then all of their other uniform was all exactly the same. There's got to be a way to do that. So I did two years of research and thought, this is perfect. I could do like an internet business and run this from home. And at the time, there was nothing really in Europe that was like that. Um, there was the odd, maybe we had a competitor in Australia, I think, at the time. Nothing in the US really that I know of either at the time. So so it was really good timing and it took off. And uh, after a couple of years, it's just sort of taken off from there. So I got to tell you that I think every mom, and I'm speaking from my mother's vantage point, every mom has had this issue. And at least, you know, the majority of moms come up with their own little stitched together way of doing it. My mom's way was like magic marker on the back of your stuff (laughs) and on your clothes and on your tags. But Uh you really took it seriously, which is fascinating to me. I mean, you spent two years researching it. So, um, you know, what at what point in your research did you really realize like, okay, this is actually like a valid business. Like I could actually make this so that it's not, you know, just, you know, random mom writing on their shoes or something. I guess like in, you know, like about probably a year into the two-year research, I thought, yeah, I think this can work. And there's not much competition in in the UK or Europe. And everyone's got uniforms, so they all need it. Um, And and bizarrely, that's sort of, I'll tell you later, but that's sort of changed in that that we we sell a lot to Germany, for example, and there's no uniform there, but they just want to label everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so bizarrely, it's not That's just funny. about uniform, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I sort of probably a year in. But then realistically, I guess it's not till you've sort of maybe done a year of business. And then I always say give it two years to be sure that it's going to work. Right. And, and then you know that it is taking off and we, I can see a return. Right, right. Well, mm-hmm. so let's talk about those first two years of business. Um, you know, you knew right away that you wanted this to be a website business. Um, what kind of things did you have to prepare that made that unique? I mean, this is 2004 and, you know, kind of an online business. It wasn't new, but I mean, really having an online store as your full on business was definitely an undertaking. So what kind of stuff did you have to prepare and get together in order to make that successful from the ground up? Oh, it was really difficult because I didn't have a background in, you know, my background's not computing. My background was chartered accounting and then management consulting. So I had, although I had a financial background, I didn't know anything about, you know, linking up broadband and getting the payment systems in place and, you know, connecting it. How does it connect to the bank and how do people order? And then how what happens when your order comes off the system? How do I then do the production side and then get it dispatched on the system? And and uh, I, I just did a lot of research online and then I found courses to go to. And then there's a local government agency we have in Scotland, which was really helpful to just get the actual basics of even getting your broadband and your router working and everything. So, so you were really kind of getting all that stuff together. Now, what actually like creating the labels, like how many prototypes did you go through? Because I, I can't imagine, I mean, this can't be like your simple sticky tape where, 
you know, no, you're yeah. typing it on and that, cause all that stuff ends up coming off. So did you have yeah. to like go through iterations in order to come up with like the perfect yeah. thing that would actually stick on stuff? Yeah, we had to I tested a lot. You know, I got a lot from different, I, I approached different people that were printing different things and tried out different samples and tried to research what machinery they were using and how they were making it and whether it was laminated or not laminated and um, getting all these pictures designed as well because we have about 74 different pictures that the kids can choose to put on their labels. So we had to get all of those designed and it was even to the extent that I was uh, just very picky in that I would say, the dog's got to have a smile. <laughs> you know, the, Pay yeah, attention to the dogs. details. Yeah, the ballerina's got to have a, a big puffy dress. <laughs> yep. And it's for kids. It's got to smile. It can't be, you know, upset looking. So, uh, yeah, I was just quite picky about all of that. And then, uh, yeah, I think it just took off. And then we have changed platforms on the website, obviously, several times since we started because you outgrow what you've got and then you realize you need something for really more a multi-chain retail store type of setup to get it going. But uh, but it wasn't easy the first couple of years. And, and I think that's the, the benefit of we were trying to franchise for a few years, but it's, um, it's difficult because people don't want to pay the money. But then you're saying, well, actually, we've got, you know, 10, 11 years of research here now that you would be taking on rather than trying to do all of this yourself and get it wrong so many times. Right. So there are people, who, you know, who are, want to do a franchise would really be paying for that premium. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So did the franchise stuff not work out for you? You decided not it to go that route? It didn't work out so well because uh, I think, you know, a lot of the competitors that I see that have got anywhere with it, most of people have, I think, given up on that idea as well and decided to do it themselves and put somebody on the ground in each country. And I think that's the way we're looking to go at the at the moment. In fact, uh, we do sell to the US, but not as much as we do in Europe. And the, the trouble with that has been finding, working out how do we find the right person in the US that we want to either partner up with or that uh, hire an employee, the right employee that can actually t- help take it off for it and get it to take off for us in the US. Um, so we tend to get US orders through our UK site and we have US dollars, but um, they, yeah, bizarrely, they want it all sent all the way to the US. Although I do know you do have some label companies there, yeah. but I think we just have a really big range and the quality is really good. And some people just stumble across us on Google and then they, they do want it sent over to the US. Okay, so a couple points I really want to hone in on there. Number mm-hmm. one, you mentioned competitors. So how did you patent your specific, you know, science of this label? Or is there any proprietary anything? Um, yeah, if, no. So you're you're basically just kind of playing, you're you're in the competitor game. Like you're going to play yeah. the, the game with the competitors and just figure it out some way, somehow. Yeah, because we, I mean, it's really hard to pattern it with that. Unless you've got some amazing technology that's completely different to everybody else, it's really difficult to do. And it's very expensive to do as well. So we just tend to get all our images copyright and obviously the website's copyright. And then we just, um, now, you know, now we'll even outsource, we'll even source labels from other suppliers and stuff and and we'll sell them on for them so uh, we just try and find the best things to add to our product range that we started with Um, and if we find something that's really good that somebody else might supply then we we would try and source that as well Um, maybe even through a competitor if we had to do that if it was a really amazing product then we wouldn't wouldn't ignore that either right so uh, yeah but patterning is really difficult to do so let's talk about how you're you're bringing in clients, how you're bringing in sales. I mean, obviously, there's a huge online kind of digital marketing uh, uh, energy that is going out there from you. But then you de- you did mention sort of having somebody in an area like are you talking like, like kind of like a sales rep, like people talking yeah. to different retail like locations? Sales. 
Yeah, like a sales rep, but we haven't really done that. What we've done is so far we have just done it all from the UK and we're building up with all our social media and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we're building up each of the European countries from, from the UK and we met, we tend to actually source a lot of our, you know, finding staff that have all the languages is the tricky part yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and have, have them to like a native speaker extent. So what we tend to do is hire a lot of our um, students from the local university and they tend to be on what's called an Erasmus exchange program from Europe where they're doing some of their degree. They may be German or Swiss or whatever, and then they're doing some of their degree in Scotland. And then they decide that they want to actually stay here because there's a European agreement where they can work in the in, in the UK. Um, and that works out really well for us because then we get people that speak, you know, that are native speakers of Swedish, French, German, and so on. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Um, so t- let's talk a little bit about your digital marketing strategies um, I want to talk about the flub ups first. What have you <laughs> What have you spent a lot of money on in the digital space oh. as far as optimization that really just blew up in your face? And sucked? yeah, <laughs> optimization is horrendous. That's just such <laughs> a hard thing. I just so feel for anyone starting out that doesn't know where they're going with that because I mean, there's so many sharks out there that just go, "Oh, we'll get to your page one of Google, position one, page one of Google," and you know, you know, they're not telling the truth, and that's not going to happen. Right. But <laughs> right. But you're so desperate to get on page one when you first start out and you're on page 10 or something. So you tend to fall for some of these guys. And even if you get references, they they can be, you know, people can give references and then, and then, then you, know, you find six months later they've left them anyway. Right. And we, we had one company that I think we spent about £10,000 on. So what's that about fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand US, for example? Yeah. Um, and they kept getting it. They get you into these rolling contracts where you pay a monthly contract, and they'll keep optimizing and they'll keep doing all your keywords and so on. And it's just such a trick because I've just learned since then. I mean, we lost money with those guys. Then they disappeared, and we tried to ring them. There was no answer, and we found out they've set up business somewhere else, taken all the assets, and set up elsewhere. What? Are you kidding yeah. me? And you and just such a and nightmare. you wouldn't have found it out if you didn't do your own investigating. No, and it was just horrendous. So I just sort of thought, this is crazy. So we, I, I've done a lot of courses on how to do it all and, and through um, different government agencies that were putting courses on. Um, but finding a mentor and stuff has been really tricky because we, it's just we're ahead of everyone else, I guess, on that side of things in Scotland. Um, we're a long way ahead of a lot of other people. So it's difficult to find anyone to mentor you on what to do because no one else has really done it other than if you look at the likes of ASOS or the big department stores. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, I've met them at business meetings and they're quite happy to give me the odd piece of information. But obviously it's not like having a mentor who's been there, done it, and can tell you exactly how to do everything along the way. Right. Yeah. So what do you... Do you do things to actively reach out to other business people who, you know, might be where you want to go or, you know, like, is there, there may not be that exact model, but like, is there some, are there people that you talk to as mentors or just to help give you advice along the way? Yeah, not so much as mentors, but I, I, I do link, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Like I see you always advertising the LinkedIn side of it as well. And I think LinkedIn's great, apart from when you actually say yes on your mobile phone and find out, find out it's, it's sent an invite to everybody that you didn't like as well on your email address. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. So, so, but LinkedIn's great for getting contacts with people. And, um, and I network a lot. Obviously, now I get invited to a lot of government, like I was on um, Downing Street and had an e-commerce task force. 
about because Britain is ahead of Europe in a lot of ways on e-commerce and they wanted to know what they could take to Europe then to say, hey, this is what we're doing in Britain. This is what you need to do to get e-commerce going in a bigger way. And that was great because I met the likes of the guys from ASOS, the guys from Wiggle, which is a cycling stores, um, the sell cycling kit. Um, Marks and Spencers, John Lewis, and all the big guys sort of in the UK were there. And we, I keep in touch with them, and that helps because you can have the, ask the odd question, and they have they even ask me the odd question as a smaller business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that are good. And I also run, I also run my own business women's, well, there's a business women's entrepreneurs group, which is linked to a group called FCM in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for business women entrepreneurs who have run their own business for three years plus and employ staff. So that's really good. Even if they're not all e-commerce, it's really good just to compare notes on other things in business. Right. Um, I want to circle back to the online marketing stuff. And again, because this really is so heavy in how you're getting people and getting traffic to your site. Um, What stuff has worked for you? Like what stuff have you invested in and spent time on that has worked for you? Google ads, Facebook ads, like, you know, certain strategies that have really worked well for you? Yeah. Um, Well, obviously optimization, doing all your own optimization, getting your keywords right. Um, And then the product photography needs to be right. And we're always updating that because it's always, you know, you can always be better. Um, You spend a lot of money on that type of thing. Um, We haven't done a lot of good. We haven't done, we've done Google AdWords a little bit, but because it's a really seasonal business, it's really difficult because people don't really, the AdWords don't really pay off for us apart from when we get to that busy time of year when people are actively looking for the product because it's not like fashion or something where it's all year round. Um, so we found leading up to our busy period, then it, then it works. Um, we haven't done Facebook advertising, but we've done a bit of Facebook promotion occasionally, mm-hmm. just where you just promote your page. Um, we tend to just, we, we use Facebook quite actively and it, and it works quite well for us in just engaging with our audience and, you know, having funny comments that people enjoy because um, mums really like to hear how great they are as mums and, and what funny things happen when they've got families and stuff. So we engage with them quite well with that. Um, and then we do, we don't do a lot of print advertising. We just tend to do the main optimization, to be honest. Um, email marketing is the other thing we use as well. So um, I was checking out your website and it's very robust. I mean, it's very um, user-friendly, easy to check out, easy to buy stuff. The photos are beautiful. How, How many iterations has your website had? Oh gosh, I don't know. I think we've had about five so far. Wow. Um, and it's about to undergo another revamp, I think, on the front the front side of it rather than the back of it. Um, because e-commerce, it just changes so fast. I mean, you can invest in a website and people go, oh, it should last four or five years. But the reality of it is in a year's time, things have changed again and you're putting more money back into it. So re- we reinvest a lot of money back into their website every year. Wow. Um, and so one of the other questions I had was, as, as you have evolved, you and I were talking beforehand about how you have um, sort of decided to go into another niche. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, we've decided, you know, obviously we talked about being seasonal and name labels. You know, a lot of people said it's never going to work when I started out because they said, your business is so seasonal, that's never going to work. You've only got one peak of the year. And yes, we do. But at the same time, you know, that's worked for us and it's grown massively. Every year has grown apart from one. We had a dip one year with website problems, but um, when we changed site and it didn't work in 2012. Um, but I sort of thought there must be a way of e- evening out the seasonality by having a, 
maybe another product range or a different market to, to market to. And we decided to try personalized gifts. And uh, it's working out really well, but we only just started it last year and uh, we've got a lot more stuff coming. We've got Disney books, like personalized Disney books coming on in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also Hasbro and Nickelodeon licenses and stuff. So you can put the child's name into the books and personalized clocks. Oh, cool. Uh, marks, all sorts of, all sorts of cool things, which is, which is quite good. Cause we're starting to see a little bit more of a, a peak at other times of year. And it'll be interesting this year to see how that goes. How do you, generally speaking, how do you handle that as far as cash flow goes? And I always wonder about this with yeah. like people who do yeah. business right around the holidays, right? Like like 80 yeah. to 90% of your business is done within two or three months. Yeah. You have that same experience during the summers. Yeah. How did you handle that in the past? And what were some of the best ways that you were able to manage all that cash flow? Um, yeah, it's really difficult. Um, we, we have had issues with it before where we've got to Christmas and we said, oh my goodness, are we going to be able to pay staff wages in the January? Right. Um, and it's because we get all our income through the summer and then we spend the rest of the year. So um, many businesses do the same, but maybe fashion ones and stuff are quite lucky and they're more, see, they have a peak at Christmas, but then they've got more sales throughout the year as well. Um, so we tend to, I tend to try and hold off on spending until I get into the period where it's on the up. So like towards from Easter onwards, I guess, when it's starting to go on. So we tend to go, oh, we need more envelopes or we need more paper or whatever it might be. Um, I tend to try and run it right down to the bare bones where there's virtually nothing left. And then then if we run out, we go, okay, let's we're going to have to reorder. And we reorder for a whole year at a time. Oh, wow. Uh, but we try and just buy for the whole year and and yeah do it like up front i mean things like a lot of our stuff with um anyone we have suppliers with of things that we can do that are personalized for example i mean maybe use a supplier for that stuff it's not so bad because we just have to buy it in and and then sell it on so we don't have to keep a stock of it Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of the stuff we we print in-house we tend to bring in all the stock at one time a year which is about just before the summer and spend all the money then (laughs) man Now, you mentioned something to me that I thought was really fascinating, and this is a call out to anyone who works out of their home and starts a company out of their home. (laughs) So you started in 2004, and just in 2014, so 10 years later, did you actually move your company out of your house, and you're finally in like Uh an actual location. Why did you make that shift, and what's been maybe the pros and cons of it? Yeah. I've been thinking about it for a while because obviously we were talking about um, we had obviously put all these foreign websites live and we'd got translators in and we got students in that were native speakers and stuff to help us with that. We'd also used some translation companies for the, or the odd one. But the ones, mostly we had people in and extra staff in and in the summer we need to ramp up with university students coming to help us. And uh, so it was getting to the stage where there was about nine people in the house, some in the kitchen, some in the halls, some in the, we built an extension and there are people in the extension. And, uh, and I, you know, my husband's like, this is great. This is great. Cause you're there for the kids when they come home. And I'm like, yeah, I am, but I'm it's doing my head in because I would walk past the kitchen. I have to tidy it up before everyone comes in the morning. And, you know, at lunchtime, I'd be walking past the washing machine and think, I'll just put that on while I'm heading off to back into the office. Um, and, Oh, it just, I just was doing my head in. And then last year um, I decided, really, I've got to do something about this. But I think it had been delayed because we thought, why would we pay for rental when we can be working from home? And that's just another added cost that you have to, every year that you can't, you know, and it's quite expensive and you can't get out of it. 
um, and it's all the added other other added costs that you have on top of that, rather than just a portion of your home expenses being used. You know, you're actually having to get another phone line and uh, all these other things, electricity, and right. so um, so yeah. Then it sort of came to a head, I guess, at the end of last year because I wasn't well and I was starting to feel very sick and and women's problems as yeah has happened. So yeah, <laughs> so I ended up just uh, I ended up with an operation and and then you know I was sitting there saying this is crazy. We really got to get out out of the house, and I just feel like I need to not an exit strategy, but I just need a bit of me time as well, rather than having everybody in the house while I'm trying to recover from operation. So. Um, we bought premises in town and it's been great. It's such a such a difference. And even the staff take it more seriously, I think, now as well because it's a proper office to go to in the city centre. Right. So you've, have you guys gotten a lot more done, you think? We, I think we've got a lot more done and I've been able to promote hire a few more people that I couldn't do in the office for the full as full-time staff we've hired more full-time staff mm. and then we've been able to promote them into management positions so I can do more strategy stuff as well so talk a little bit about your role as a manager and as a leader what kind of leader are you and what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had in kind of building a staff I think well I'm quite a hands-on well I'm not I'm not a bossy leader I'm quite relaxed but I'm quite hands-on in that it's been my baby and I've got to let it go and I've got to let some staff do do things that I would have normally done. Right. Um, so that has been a, a difficult process to get used to that, but I really like it. Now I'm used to it. I really like it um, because now I can just, you know, develop lists and go, I want to do this and I want to do that and have all my to-do lists and then delegate it to everybody and then just check on them every week. So um, I think we're getting a lot more done that way and that as a result of that, you know, we won the John Lewis contract for, which is a big department store in the UK and they're well known for um, being very ethical and a good brand name and quite sort of high, high end, high end um, department store that everybody trusts. And we're in John Lewis stores now, which is great. Wow. Um, but I don't think that would have come about so much if I was still going from home because I think I would have been bogged down in the nitty gritty of the day to day operations with everyone in the one room. Right. Right. That's a really good point. Now, when you say that you're being offered in John Lewis, which is a huge deal, it's a huge, huge retail uh, store out there. So what what does that mean? Like just you have a place on a shelf out there or are you? Yeah. How, how does that work? Gift card. Yeah, we've done through a gift card system because they didn't want to at this stage link up online um, because, you know, they had other priorities at the moment. And, uh, you know, name labels for them is not one of their bigger areas. Um, but for us, it's great because it's a, it's a presence in a store through a gift label system uh, where people buy the gift cards and then they go home and go online and it's all prepaid already. They just have to put in what they want on our website. Oh. Um, so that's worked really well for us. Great idea. And you also deal with a lot of school systems too, right? Yeah, we have a lot of like boarding schools and also not only that, but even though it's labels for kids, we also have um, the elderly care homes. Some of them come to us for late for as people come in and out, you know, they come for us for more labels for their residents as well. That's so smart. I used to work in senior care and that is huge. I mean, just, I mean, as soon as I saw, as soon as I was doing my research, I was like, oh my God, this would be great at the senior (laughs) homes because that happens a lot. The only thing with them is it's a bit trickier with them because a lot of them, uh, you know, if you actively go and try and market them, it's difficult because a lot of them actually want you to come in the old-fashioned way with a sales team and show them how to iron them on and how to apply them and how to take them off and order (laughs) order it by paper and stuff. So they're not a lot of them are not so high tech back onto ordering on the internet or anything. Yeah, that's very very true. 
What do you think has been one of the most surprising things uh, that you have come across all these years of being an entrepreneur? Oh, as in things that's things that you see, or yeah, or just you know, in your experience and this whole journey that you've had, what's what's something yeah. that was just like really like you had no idea that it would be like this, or that it would that this would happen, <laughs> you know? And I'm sure that that encompasses a lot, but you know, yeah. there's one thing that stands out for you that just really has been like a shocker in a good or a bad way. Um, I think the fact that it's such an addiction is like a drug. Yeah, it's like running your own business, and you want to see you want to see the sales go up, and you want to see the profits go up, you want to see the business growing, and you want to see yourself in in stores and things as well, or or be like a household name, and people people saying to you when you're in the street has been amazing. You know, I've been to meetings for um, networking, and then down in London, and then somebody's gone, oh, oh my God, I, I've I've heard of you, I've used you before, and your labels are really good, and that's quite nice to have that recognition. The addiction of business. I think that's what I might label the title of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very true. Um, oh, man, it's very, very true. So um, so you mentioned, uh, you know, watching your numbers and all that sort of stuff. And because you come you come from a numbers background, yeah. what kind of numbers do you pay attention to you in your business? And how, like, what habits do you have to look at your numbers? What numbers are you looking at? Yeah. How are you measuring uh, the numbers in your business? Um. Well, obviously, you know, the budgets with my Excel spreadsheets all over the place and things. I look at the budgets quite regularly. Um, I'm not so good on my cash flow. I should be looking at that more often than I do. But I probably, you know, I do look at it monthly. Um, But the main thing, I guess, is just looking at the margins of doing deals because we get a lot of um, bespoke deals for maybe um, companies or we deal with some big super yachts and we deal with... um, um, we did some stuff for the Beijing Olympics, for example, as a, a PR company that wanted some work for the Beijing Olympics. Um, so when we have any bigger deals or any bespoke things getting done, it's sort of um, looking at the margins for those to make sure because because it's quite tricky in that, that you could do a, a custom order, like a sample, mm-hmm. and then find you've not charged anything for the sample, but they don't go ahead. Oh. And then, then you would then maybe lose money on that. Whereas if you charge for a sample, but then you give some money off for, you know, if you're going to go ahead with the order, then the sample money will come off the total cost. Things like that are quite important. And it's sort of training my staff up about that as well, about what to look at when they're doing these margins and to double check it with somebody else in the office before they do it. Because there'll be just basic things where they'll forget to add the VAT that we have here, like the sales tax. They'll maybe forget to add that on and then multiply it out and then realize, oh, whoops, hang on a minute. Wow. <laughs> We've just lost 20%. <laughs> what, is it, what is your average margin? Oh, they're really variable. They're, I mean, we some of them are really low. Some of them are maybe like 30% um, and some of them, you know, a couple hundred percent. It just depends on the product and, and pricing. They're, they're all completely different. Wow, that's fantastic. And Marie, as you move forward and as you've built this business for since 2004 and as you're finally out of the house and like really in what it sounds like is hyper growth mode, what's yeah. your big vision? Like what, how do you want to move forward? Well, we were talking about this the other day because we have a big vision board on my office and we were saying we want to be like the, the well-known brand for personalized kids stuff in Europe and the US we've decided as well. All right. So anyone listening to this who feels like taking up a labels for kids business, all you have to do is contact Emery. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, you're doing such amazing things and I really appreciate you being so open about, you know, the journey that you've had so far. Really great information and the business that you're building is just phenomenal. So thank you so much thank for being you. here. 
Thank you so much, Katie. That was been great fun. Totally random takeaway, but beautiful nugget that she just barely touched upon was um, how she had mentioned, uh, you know, you got to really watch your margins and sometimes you're giving away a sample for free and then somebody doesn't buy it. So if you actually have somebody pay for the sample, but then give them that incentive to actually take that amount off when they order, um, it saves you the headache of now losing, uh, losing money and losing your margin. So just something really small, but just a nice little tweak to make in your business to make sure that you're not losing any money. Um, loved this conversation with Anne-Marie. She was just, um, man, is she smart. Man, I just really learned a lot from her. Really passionate about her business. And I love the fact that she admits that she's addicted to her business because we all are. And uh, it's very hard to admit. So thank you, Anne-Marie, for starting that trend. <laughs> um, man, I would love to hear what you got out of this. Please go on to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 178. Go put a comment down there below. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. I would love to hear about you know what you got out of it and how it relates to you personally in your business. Is there something Anne-Marie talked about that you really connected with or an idea that you got out of what she was saying? I would love to hear. I will see you on the next episode. I can't wait. 